number 33. The Bible says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand, and the other on the left. With the help of the Lord this morning, I want to preach on this thought, compelled by Calvary. I'll say this, and then we'll have a word of prayer together. If what I'm preaching doesn't compel you to do more, to reach the world with the gospel, if what I'm getting ready to say from the Bible doesn't motivate you, doesn't move you to give more, to go more, to pray more when it comes to world evangelism, then I dare say anything else will not move you or motivate you or compel you either. I'm preaching this morning on the thought compelled by Calvary. Father, with our heads bowed and with our Bibles opened, I pray that you would open our minds and even more importantly our hearts to the truths of your inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Lord, should there be one within our midst this Lord's day that's lost. Oh, Father, I pray, would you remove the blinders from their eyes in order for them to see their need of a Savior. And then, Lord, for those of us who are saved, oh, may we be compelled to do more to reach others with the same gospel that changed our lives than we ever have before. And I'll thank you and praise you for it, for truly thou art worthy. Lord, I'm nothing without you. You know my weak frailness. Lord, would you make a preacher out of me this morning? I pray you would, and I'll give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. As you study your Bible, you'll discover there were many places that played a role in the earthly ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There, of course, was the place of Christ's birth, a little town called Bethlehem, or the house of bread. There was the place called Nazareth, where the Lord Jesus would grow into a man. We also read of important places that Jesus visited during His earthly ministry as well. There were those Judean hillsides as well as the shores of the Sea of Galilee. There were the synagogues in the villages as well as the great temple there in the city of Jerusalem. Oh, but I believe it's vitally important for each of us to remember this Lord's Day that every one of the places that I've just mentioned were merely steps along the way that would eventually lead the Lord Jesus to the place that we've read about here in the Gospel of Luke this morning. That, of course, would be the place called Calvary. Now, we know that to be the case because the Word of God reveals that every step that Jesus took on this earth would be a step that would ultimately lead Him to an old rugged cross just outside of Jerusalem at a place called Calvary. Well, when you study the Word of God, you'll discover that Jesus Himself alluded to that truth. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21 says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go unto 
Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. The Word of God goes on to say in Matthew chapter 17, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. Why, the very morning of Christ's sacrificial death on the cruel cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus spoke of the place called Calvary as he told Pontius Pilate in John chapter number 18 and verse number 37, To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. And therefore, may I say, I would be the first to agree with you if you were to try to convince me this Lord's day that Calvary was prophesied by the scriptures. Now I would agree with that of course because Calvary really was prophesied by the scriptures. But hear me, the same Bible that reveals to both you and I that Calvary was prophesied by the scriptures is the same Bible that reveals beyond a shadow of a doubt that Calvary was proclaimed by the Savior. And the reason why I make that point and the reason why I think it's worthy of our consideration this morning is because it is a Bible truth that assures us beyond any shadow of a doubt that Calvary did not slip up on God. Hear me this Lord's Day, friend. Calvary did not take God by surprise. I submit to you as the Lord Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth on an Oregon cross. The thrice holy God of glory did not lean over the banister of heaven and with a furrowed brow say, Oh no, this messes up my plans. What in the world am I going to do now? Hear me. Absolutely not. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 13, and verse number 8 that our Savior the Lord Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth that truth assures us this morning that God had a plan to carry out at this place called Calvary it assures us that God had a purpose to fulfill at this place called Calvary it assures us that God had a people in mind to deliver by what would ultimately take place or a hill called Calvary. There he who knew no sin would literally become sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There Christ's sinless, spotless, satisfying blood would be shed for the sins of the entire world. He would become like us so we could become like him. He would go hungry so our hunger could be fed. He would be be thirsty so our thirst might be quenched. He would be stripped naked so that you and I could be clothed in his righteousness. Uh, Dr. Satterfield's father had a saying many years ago. I picked it up and I've never gotten over it. What he says everywhere he goes is true. God gave heaven's best 
for the world's worst so that the world's worst might know heaven's best. And friend, that is exactly what took place on a hill called Calvary. And therefore, may I say this morning, I just turned 55 years of age a few days ago. Can you believe that? I am getting older. But you're hearing one preacher preach this morning that'll never be over the hill because the hill that I'm preaching about is this place the Bible speaks of here in the text before us when it says, and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. Can I tell you about this place called Calvary? Calvary, ladies and gentlemen, was a place of vicious suffering. No picture has ever truly depicted the vicious suffering that Christ endured for the sins of a lost and dying world at this place called Calvary. Calvary is a place of vicious suffering. Calvary is a place of vicarious substitution. There as he hung on that old rugged cross, he took your place, he took my place. Calvary is a place of vicarious substitution. Oh, but let me say this this morning. Calvary is a place of victorious splendor because it was there that God, as only God could have done, turned tears into triumph. God turned darkness into light. God turned suffering into splendor. Can I tell you what God did on the cross of Calvary, God took glory and he turned it into glory and he did it at this place called Calvary. Why, it's no wonder in the year of 1895, God used a man by the name of William Newell to pen those words that not only found their way into our Baptist hymnals, but into our hearts as well. Years I spent in vanity and pride caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Why, it's no wonder Paul said in Galatians chapter number 6 and verse number 14, but God forbid that I should glory saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. It's no wonder God used Paul to pen 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18 for the preaching of the cross is them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Paul was motivated by Calvary. He was moved by Calvary. He was compelled by Calvary. And today, after all these years, Calvary is still compelling God's children to live for God, to serve God, and to put Him first in all that we do. And Calvary, Central Baptist Church, Calvary is the compelling factor. Calvary is the motivating factor that moves us as a people of God to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel. Just three truths about this place called Calvary before we dismiss this morning. 
First of all, let me say number one, the reason for Calvary compels me to be saved. Now, if you're here this morning and you have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, oh, I want you to listen to all of the message, but I particularly want you to zero in on this first point with me. I'm telling you, the reason for Calvary compels me to be saved. And I say that because ever since our forefather Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden, this Bible teaches us that God has allowed but one way, and may I say only one way, for sinful man to approach him. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is through and by the blood of sacrifice. Now, the Bible teaches us that from cover to cover, but the Bible teaches us that truth as early as the book of Genesis, as the book of beginnings. In Genesis chapter 4, we read of God accepting Abel's offering while rejecting his brother Cain's offering. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 4, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance failed. I don't have a great deal of time here, but can I hasten to ask you this question, what's the problem with Cain's offering? Is God not fair? If he accepted Abel's, and he most certainly did, according to the truth of Genesis chapter number 4, but at the same time rejected Cain, what's the problem with Cain's offering? Is there a problem with Quality? Maybe Cain didn't bring his best to the Lord. Oh no, I don't think you'll find that there is a problem with quality. In fact, I believe the Word of God teaches otherwise. I believe Cain brought the best fruit of the ground that he had. I believe he wanted to impress God with the best that he had. So there is no problem with quality. So if there isn't a problem with quality, maybe, Brother Saunders, there is a problem with quantity. Maybe he didn't bring enough offering before. No, there was not only no problem with quality, there was no problem with quantity. Well, you may ask, if there's no problem with quality or quantity, then surely there must have been a problem with quickness. Maybe he was a little late getting his offering to the... No, there is no problem with quickness because the Word of God reveals that Cain brought his offering simultaneously along with his brother Abel's. So if there wasn't a problem with quality, quantity, or quickness, what's the problem with Cain's offering? Can I give it to you in a nutshell? Cain's offering... Are you listening? Say amen. Cain's offering was a bloodless offering. 
Cain's offering represented, mm, don't miss this. If you're listening to WTYG, don't miss this. Cain's offering represented the best that he could do. Abel, on the other hand, according to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4, brought of the firstlings of his flock. You want to know what Abel brought? Abel brought a lamb. And that lamb, according to the word of God, was a type. It was a picture. It was a foreshadow of the one that John the baptizer spoke of as he saw Jesus standing on the banks of the Jordan River when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Now, how would Jesus do that? By encouraging men to do good? By encouraging men to turn over a new leaf? How would Jesus do that? Jesus would do that, ladies and gentlemen, by shedding his precious, powerful, personal blood on the cross of Calvary. For it was by that blood, Christ's blood, and Christ's blood alone, that the world could be offered forgiveness for their sin. Cain's offering represented the best that man could do. Abel's offering represented the best that God could do. It is a truth that assures us this morning, ladies and gentlemen, listen to the preacher, there are not many ways to heaven. There, after all of these years, is still only one way to heaven. And it is through him by the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I feel right at home here, so I'm just going to preach real plain right here. You'll get to heaven through and by the shed blood of the Lamb of God, or you won't get there. It's as simple as that. That's why I say the reason for Calvary compels me. It motivates me to be saved by the grace of God. Secondly, I want to say, the reaching of Calvary compels me to serve. I'm talking about the reaching of Calvary. Now, please do not misunderstand. I do not serve the Lord to be saved. But since I have been saved, brother, I can't help but serve Him. He put that within me. I want to serve. Can you believe that? He put the want to in me. I want to serve him. Not to be saved, but because I have been saved. But there is something that motivates me. There is something that moves me. It isn't the pat on the back. It isn't the plaque on the wall. It isn't even the paycheck in my pocket. No, the reaching of Calvary compels me to serve. Oh, and whereas the reaching of Calvary compels me to serve, I ought to remind myself often that I serve the Lord by reaching others with the same gospel message that was reached in my own life. 
The reaching of Calvary compels me to serve. I ought to say it like this this morning. I can and should rejoice in the fact that Calvary reaches me, but I ought to never forget. I ought to always remember that Calvary reaches whosoever. It has been said as Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth on an old ragged cross, he would reach up with one hand and take the hand of a thrice holy heavenly father and he would reach down with his other hand and take a hold of you and take a hold of me and bring the two of us together at the cross of Calvary. Hear me this morning, there is a reason why we are to reach the people of Nicaragua with the gospel because the same Calvary that reaches me reaches them. The same Calvary that reaches the mayor is the same Calvary that reaches the meter maid. The same Calvary that reaches the king in the palace is the same Calvary that reaches the beggar on the street corner. All oh, the reaching of Calvary compels me to serve. And finally this morning, I want you to know the rejoicing of Calvary compels me to shout. Dr. Bloom, can I just make a little confession right here? I really sometimes, I do, I think I'd be a better preacher sometimes if I'd be a little more reserved. I try to be, Brother Allen. I do. I hear myself preach and I get up here and I want to be so dignified and I sling snot and spit everywhere and I leave soaking wet with sweat. I honestly, and boy, the devil tells me, you know what? You, you just make an idiot of yourself up there. You know, I'm not so sure he's not halfway right. I try to do it. I, I try, I try, to, I try to do it. I try to be more dignified. I do. I give it my best shot. I mean, I wear nice clothes. I, I shine my shoes. I try to tie my tie just right. But I want to tell you, when I read what that Bible says about Calvary, and Dr. Satterfield, when I understand what I was, what I was in light of the thrice holy God of glory, and then I understand that Jesus left the portals of glory for a sinner like me, it causes me to lose every ounce of dignity that I have. And please, please, I'm Baptist. I am Baptist. I really am Baptist. But who said that Baptists can't be excited about Calvary? We can't touch the microphone, praise God, but we can shatter a pulpit. I've already made up my mind before I leave this property tonight after Dr. Bloom has handed me the check. I'm touching this microphone. And I'm going to shout about Calvary. Because you see, Calvary really was a place of victorious splendor. It was there that both sin and Satan would be forever vanquished and redemption and righteousness would be forever claimed. 
It was there that heaven would meet hell in the most spectacular battle of all time. And friend, it was there that heaven would claim the eternal victory over hell for whosoever that would trust the Lord as their personal Savior. Because of that, and preacher, I've preached my voice away this week, but I'd like to end by singing a verse of that old song if I could get it out. Victory was won at Calvary. Victory that gave me liberty. Now I can live eternally. Because victory was won at Calvary. Can I say something to encourage you before we pray? We're not fighting for victory this morning. We're fighting from victory. The debt of sin has been canceled. The price has been paid. Victory was won. And the reason why we can reach the people of the planet with the gospel is because Jesus paid the sin debt for whosoever. And there's something that ought to motivate us and move us and compel us to give more than we've ever given before, to go more than we've ever gone before with the gospel Oh, if what I'm preaching about doesn't compel you, then you rest assured. No other testimony, no other missions conference, and no other message will. I'm compelled this morning by Calvary. You've listened so well. Would you bow your head with me?